I need to tell you that I'm bitter. I wish I was joking. But maybe it would be more accurate to say that I have been struggling more with bitterness. That in recent, the last past several weeks, um, that I have found the circumstances of life to be such that uh, I was pushed into a response of bitterness in different ways. Um, I would encourage you to not waste your time wondering which areas. I would say it's multiple areas of my life, and I would say you may or may not have any idea of what they are, and I think your time would be better spent considering if you relate at all. So in the past several weeks, I I have to say that there are times when, I'm not saying I'm bitter right this moment, (laughs) but I am saying that in recent weeks there are times when I find myself to be bitter, And, and not just bitter, but intentionally wallowing in it. Staying there. Adding to it. Making it worse. But what if my bitterness causes me to miss God's grace? What if my resentment of situations or circumstances causes me to have now a misunderstanding, a false perception of who God is and how he works? What if staying focused on my circumstances and wallowing in my bitterness causes me to miss the work in my life of our great God? What if my anger and disappointment about things not going my way causes me to miss the kindness of God in his ways. In difficult circumstances that I know I'm not alone in facing, in circumstances that don't go our way, that I know I'm not the only one in the room that finds those things to be the case around me, in in those situations we have... A couple ways, you know, we have a lot of ways things probably could go, but we certainly could fall into bitterness. Or we can endure and lift our eyes to our great God. To not grow weary and instead consider our God and his son and the work of his son on the cross. So in this passage of Scripture that we're going to take a look at this morning, this true story, this true account from God's Word, in this uh, passage that we're going to study this morning, we're going to see examples of both. We're going to see examples where life circumstances pushes someone to respond in bitterness, and we're going to see example of someone whose life circumstances push her to endure and look to the only one who judges justly. And so turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. And while we uh, are going to encounter examples of both those things, while we are going to encounter examples of a couple of different people, we are also going to find that at the end, there is hope. So turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. Love you to bring your Bible with you or open your device, phone or tablet or whatever, and and Bible app to Ruth chapter 1. If you need your, uh, don't hesitate, if you need your table of contents there. The Old Testament portion of your Bible toward the front, Joshua, Judges, then you'll find Ruth, 
First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and let's turn to chapter uh, one. And as you kind of give you just a little bit longer to find your way there, let me now say good morning, church family. My name is Derek, and um, and it's my privilege to have us study God's word together. So let's do that. First, we're going to remind ourselves what we studied last Sunday. Last Sunday, we studied the first five verses of, of this chapter, and today we're actually going to study the rest of the chapter. Don't read anything into that. <laughs> uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Let's remind ourselves just really quickly of last Sunday's passage. Ruth 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two sons took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and then both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. As we acknowledged last Sunday, Naomi has clearly has legitimate reason to be sad, to be hurting, to be experiencing some of the painful difficulties of life. There is, it is completely understandable for us to empathize with her of the difficulty of these circumstances and what, what her situation would now have been. Yet, as we continue this morning now into the rest of the chapter, this passage is full, full of reminders of the rich truths of God's grace, that he gives us what we don't deserve, that we don't get what we do deserve. This passage is full of rich reminders of God's kindness to us, that even in difficult circumstances, that, we, that if we're paying attention, that if we're tuned in, we can see uh, so many indicators of God's kindness to us and how God is faithful, how when we have seen him to be faithful in the past, we know that he can be faithful as we move forward. So let's uh, continue in the passage and watch for those indicators, those truths, those realities of God's grace, his kindness, his faithfulness. Verse 6. Then she arose, Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab and head back to Bethlehem and Judah, to back to the promised land of God's people. For she had heard the fields of Mo- she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Remember back in verse 1, we heard there was a famine, which is what led them out of God's land, of God's people, of, of Bethlehem, and to this area called Moab, which was a, a really a despised people. And now she's considering going back. And this one verse, verse 6, is one verse that is packed with grace, with the grace of God, if we're looking for it. First of all, we see that Naomi heard. She heard. She heard that God had worked. How'd she hear? 
She's in a totally different place. She's miles and miles away. Technology then was not what technology is now. The grace of God allowed Naomi to hear the news of what was happening in her land. The news had made, somehow made its way to Moab. What else do we see in this, in this verse, in verse 6? We see it's the Lord. We see God's grace in the fact that she knows it's the Lord who is active. There is an indicator that he sees, that he knows, that he provides. These are gifts of God's grace. What else do we see in the verse? We see that the Lord visited. This term visited has, is a rich meaning. When it says the Lord had visited, there's an idea here of that he attended to his people, that he looked after, that he cared for his people. And what do we know about the circumstances? Prior to verse 6, we know there had been a period of famine. And so this word visited means not only does God see and know and care, but he intervenes in crisis. God, the Lord visited, cared for, looked after, intervened in the midst of crisis. That is grace. What else? We see in that verse, it refers to his people. We see God's grace through being able to be in relationship with his people, through having a church family. And this should be a reminder for us that our faith in Jesus is, is, yes, personal. Yes, it has made a tremendous difference in our lives, in our, in our personal lives. But we need to be reminded that our, while our faith is personal, it is not individualistic. When we are saved, when we become a Christian, when God rescues us out of darkness and into the light, out of death and into life, we are saved into community, into a family. We are now part of God's people. Church is not a building we go to or an event we attend, but a people to whom we belong. Okay, Derek, we know church is not a building. <laughs> We've heard that a few times. And how else we see in verse 6 also mentions food. And we saw that God sees and cares and knows and provides. But what does he provide? He provides food. God is the one who provides for our basic needs. We, don't we, if we allow ourselves, if we're not paying attention, if we're going through the motions, don't we maybe allow ourselves to think, I went to my job, I made the money, I went to the store, I spent the money, I got the food. Wow, am I a great provider. Or we know that the great God of the universe, the creator of all things, orchestrates all things and is the one who can provide for all of our basic needs, including that can of soup that you grabbed from the shelf at the store with the money that you thought you earned. <laughs> That's God's grace. That's his kindness to us. That's his faithfulness in providing So let's get back to Naomi and her daughters-in-law, verse 7. So she, Naomi, set out from the place where she was, Moab, where she shouldn't have been necessarily. She set out with her two daughters-in-law, and they went back to what Naomi would call home. They went on their way to return to the land of Judah. Here's the map we used last week. Last week, Elimelech and Naomi and their sons were traveling left to right. And this week, Naomi, without husband, without sons, but with two daughters-in-law, is headed back the other direction. Naomi is returning home. 
but the two with her, and verse 7 says they set out. They set out from Moab. They're on the road. They're headed to Bethlehem. And for this, for Naomi, this would be returning home. For the other two, this would be a totally new homeland. So picture yourself, put yourself in the story. Let's not just say it was them way back then and not really understand. But if we imagine now, now following Naomi to a new land, to a different people, to a different culture, they're willing. Orpah and Ruth are, are with her. They're on the road out of town. There must have been relationship there, Right? There must have been a good relationship. Orpah and Ruth are, are following Naomi and, and willing. Verse 8, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. So they're already on the road. This is, and, 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 and for some reason, Naomi is struck with the situation that she's headed home and these two are, are not. And she says, Go, return to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me, the Lord grants you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Naomi, speaking to her daughters-in-law, says, May the Lord deal kindly with you. And the word translated into our English word kindly there is the Hebrew word hesed. It's an incredibly rich word that, that gives a sense of God's faithful love, his, his loyalty to his people, his faithfulness. And Naomi uses this word to say, may the Lord deal kindly. May he give you said, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And then she prays they'll be safe and secure and blessed by God with a new husband. So it's incredible that she uses this word said. She knows that, that God has, can deal kindly, that he is a God of faithful love. Does, does Naomi yet recognize, does she, has she dealt with the fact that Ruth's and Orpah's kindness to her is an indicator of God's kindness to Naomi? Has she recognized that one of the ways God is showing his grace to her, to Naomi, is through these daughters-in-law? Naomi wishes uh, God's blessing and mercy on her daughters. And they, they know, she knows they're in harsh circumstances, that they too are without husbands, that, that their life uh, is looking bleak. And now they're headed to this land where, they may not be, where the two daughters-in-law may not be welcome back in Bethlehem, maybe looked down upon. And so perhaps thinking of that, Naomi thinks, man, maybe it's better if they go back. So she wishes them to find a new husband and for, for God's kindness to them in that way. Verse, uh, let's pick up verse 9, halfway through verse 9. So then Naomi kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. What does the weeping indicate? The weeping indicates that there was relationship, right? These daughters-in-law had set out with Naomi. They were, they were on their way. And now Naomi is saying, maybe there's another way. Maybe you shouldn't be coming. Maybe... It's best for you to turn back. And when she, when she mentions that to them, there is weeping. And they, the daughters-in-law, say to Naomi, verse 10, No, we will return with you to your people. 
It's so fascinating here. Again, if we put ourselves in, the sh- in their shoes to be headed to a new land, Ruth and Orpah are seemingly um, more attached to Naomi than they are to their own people and their own land. Willing to continue with her. Willing to go with Naomi to her people. Verse 11. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and it should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi's, um, unfortunately here, Naomi is blaming God as if God is against her, as if God doesn't care about her circumstances, as if, he doesn't, as if God doesn't know what is best for her. But when I find myself struggling with my bitterness... I'd love to blame my bitterness on other people. I'd love to blame my bitterness on my circumstances. That's the reason I'm bitter. Oh, yeah, I've got reason. I could make excuses for myself. I could, I could defend myself, and I could say I've got reasons. It's these other people. It's these hard circumstances. That's why I'm bitter. No, my bitterness is my heart's sinful response to things not going my way. That's what my bitterness is. Have you, ever, have you ever had something like, have you ever experienced as you've walked with God, something like this then? So I said that this has been an increased struggle in the past several weeks. So then I have an app I use for Bible memory verse, and I've been working at memorizing one Bible verse per week since the beginning of the year. Missed a couple weeks here or there, but I've been working at memorizing a new verse each week. And in this period of weeks where I've had an increased struggle with bitterness, What verse did God bring me except the end of Ephesians where it says, let all bitterness be put away from you. So I had to sit in that every morning for at least a week. God speaking to me through his word. And then my friend pointed out this week that he also has me teaching through the book of Ruth right now. I didn't start my sermon this morning telling you that I'm bitter just because it was convenient to the text this morning. We decided months or close to a year ago to consider teaching through the book of Ruth. And God knew the week that I would come to this passage, and God knew that the weeks leading up to this passage, that I would be struggling with bitterness. And if any of you have had the opportunity to teach anybody anything, you know that the teacher gets way more out of it than the students, because I've had to sit in it. And God to speak to me and God to correct me, And then for me to have the joy of passing along to you what he is doing in me. Hebrews 12.3, which will be on the screen, says, Consider him, Jesus. Consider Jesus, 
who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider that. Consider him. Consider what Jesus faced. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider Jesus. Consider that he knows. Consider that he's faced the difficulty, been through the trial, faced the hostility, had people that he could have blamed for his circumstances. But we consider him so that we may not grow weary and faint-hearted. That same passage of Scripture in Hebrews 12 talks about uh, that the fact that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And I think sometimes we get caught up in a, in, a, in a misunderstanding of what discipline is. We get caught up in thinking that discipline is consequences and punishment. And if you do that, you get that. And really what the root of discipline is, what the heart of discipline is, is teaching correcting, guiding. So this passage of Scripture reminds us that the Lord disciplines those he loves. When we are disciplined, when we encounter difficult circumstances in life, when things don't go our way, when we have trials and temptations and frustrations and hurting, our trials call us to endure, to not grow weary, to not be faint-hearted. Our trials call us to endure. Our trials are, are intended by God to train us to discipline, to teach, to guide us into increased character, increased likeness in the, in, in the like, uh, increasing in the likeness of Jesus, becoming more and more like him. That's what our trials are to do in God's hands. So what do, what, what do we have before us then, church family? What do I have before me as I struggle with bitterness? We can, we can look at our circumstances and the things coming at us, and we can fall into bitterness. Or... We can endure because we've lifted our eyes to our God. We've considered Jesus, and we do not give up or grow weary. So let's see how the story continues for Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Remember, remember, Naomi had said, daughters, turn back. And they said, no, we're coming with you. And then Naomi said, no, turn back. Gave it to him again. Verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. There's this uh, indicator here, this clinging to her is deep loyalty. Ruth is willing to lose everything, to give up everything that is familiar to her. To, to show her loyalty to Naomi, verse 15. And Naomi said, see, Ruth, your sister-in-law, Orpah, she's gone back now. She's turned back on the trail. We didn't get too far out of town. And Orpah is headed back to her people and her gods. So you, Ruth, should return after your sister-in-law. Listen now, church family, listen now. Verse 16 for Ruth's response. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you. Do not urge me to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth, 
I think, I believe that Ruth has experienced God's care for her, God's pursuit of her. She was not part of God's people. She was part of the Moabite people, these looked down upon people, these despised people. But I think Ruth has experienced God's care for her, that God's pursuit of her, that that she has looked around at her circumstances, God's care and kindness to her through Naomi. And Ruth is responding to this now. Ruth is enduring the circumstances that she has faced. She has lost a husband. She is moving out of the country. But Ruth is enduring. Ruth is not growing weary. Why? She's beginning to look to Yahweh, the God of God's people, the God of Israel. Ruth's decision here in that passage is huge. I mean, I could have done the entire sermon on those last couple of verses. Ruth's response here is huge. And it's not just wisdom, practicality. I don't think Ruth is saying, yeah, I'm going with Naomi just for wisdom, for practicality. You know, maybe it's easier, it's comfortable. I know Naomi. I don't think so. I think Ruth's decision is rooted in faith in the great God. Ruth's demonstrating her loyalty to Naomi, yes, but underlying her loyalty to Naomi is faith in God in turning from the gods of Moab and looking to the God of Israel. Her loyalty to Naomi is deep and it's admirable and it's, and it's, and it's fun to observe, but it's not the point of the story. Her loyalty to uh, Naomi is admirable, but underlying that is this growing faith in God, this declaration that Naomi's God would be her God. And one thing more we need to mention about Ruth here before we continue in the passage is that uh, Ruth, in terms of God's people, God has, has been, the whole story of the Bible from front to back is God redeeming a people for himself. And God has been calling his people Israel, the Jewish people, to be his people. He, he has said to them, I am your God and you will be my people. Which actually is reflective of Ruth's words just now, who says, your God will be my God. Anyway, God has been working at this redeeming a people for himself. And who's Ruth? Ruth's a nobody, in a sense. Ruth's an outsider. Ruth is an outsider to God's people, a Moabite. She may not even be welcome in Bethlehem when she shows up there. But in committing her life to Naomi... Ruth is committing her life to the one true God. And she has said a lot of things in those couple of verses. She has said she's willing to live for that God. She has said she's willing to die for that God. She is saying, I'm all in. I surrender my life. There's, way, there's other things I could have done. I could have stayed home and did the comfortable thing. I'm in. I'm committed. I surrender my life to the one true God. And she even says there at the end of her words that she's willing to be held accountable by that God, by our God. Wow. Wow. Let me just, in fact, let me, I'm, I'm saying wow so many times. Instead of saying wow, let me just read it one more time. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts me from you. Verse 18. They're on the road. They all three were on the road. Then there's a conversation. Then Orpah turns back. 
Then there's this incredible declaration that I read twice from Ruth to Naomi. And then verse 18, and then Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, and Naomi said no more. <laughs> Dang. I mean, are we, are we tracking here? Like, okay, we're headed out of town. This is going to be tough for you two. Maybe you should turn back. Okay, one of you does turn back. Okay, Ruth says, oh, these amazing things. My God is going to be your God. And Ruth goes, oh, all right, let's keep going. And Ruth doesn't say anything. I, I mean, there's been a rich relationship between Naomi and her daughters-in-law, and, and, but, I don't, but that's not where Naomi is right now. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, look what happens. The whole town was stirred because of them, plural, two people. And the women said, is this Naomi? Not referring at all to Ruth, the despised Moabite. Is this Naomi who's come home? Verse 20, Naomi said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? At least here, Naomi rightly knows that God oversees her circumstances. She's acknowledging that God is overseeing all her circumstances, and yet I think she misunderstands. She seems to be missing that God's heart, his love, his care, his guidance, his, his, his moving her toward his best for her. And so she renames herself. Naomi means pleasant. She says, don't call me pleasant, because the Lord has testified against me. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. So Naomi renames herself. She's struggling so bad, and she's seeing her circumstances in such a way that it's giving her a false perception of who God is and how he works. And so she renames herself from pleasant to bitter. What about me? What about me? I haven't renamed myself yet. But in my bitterness struggle, when I wallow in it, it affects everything. You know what I, do you know what I mean by wallow in it? And do you know what I mean by that I, I catch myself making it worse? I know I'm bitter. And I just add to it. My bitterness comes out in my face. My bitterness comes out in muttering. My, business, my bitterness comes out in my posture. It comes out in my attitude. It comes out in my harshness. And I think that my bitterness blinds me to God's blessing and grace and kindness. I think when I allow myself to wallow there that I miss all these indicators that are throughout this chapter of that God is present 
and working and that he sees and that he knows and that he cares and that he has our best in mind. That same Hebrews passage we were talking about a little earlier, Hebrews 12, 11 is on the screen. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. When we're experiencing God's discipline, his correction, his teaching us, his moving us into his goodwill, it seems painful. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, discipline is training, it's teaching, it's guidance. God disciplines those that he loves. And so, what about me? And what about you, church family? Do we see God's grace around us? Do we see his workings in our life? Do we see indicators of his kindness? Do we know the reality of his faithfulness? Naomi is from Israel. Naomi is from among God's people. God's gathered people who had given, he had given the promised land to them. He had called her family to live in the promised land. And yet Naomi's faith is hanging on by a thread right now. And, and Ruth, the Moabitess outsider, seems to have more faith in the God of Israel than Naomi does. Do we see... Do we look at our circumstances, even when they're difficult, and do we see God's grace poured out to us, his, his kindness to us, including through the kindness of others? As we see in this story, do we see indicators of God's faithfulness? Again, another verse from that same passage, Hebrews 12, now verse 15 is on the screen. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up. And causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Does that verse apply to me? Does that verse apply to you? I don't know about you, but when we read our Bible, I think I want to relate to Jesus. Not the thick-skulled disciples. I think when I read my Bible and I hear the story of the lost son, sorry if you don't know it, I can't recap it, but you know, when I read the story of the lost son, I, I want to resonate with the, the lost son who comes home and receives God's grace, not with the older son whose, whose religiosity and, and uh, uh, entitlement should poke at me. When I read my Bible, I think when we read our Bibles, we, we, uh, we want to resonate with the people who respond to Jesus and see Jesus and, and love Jesus. We don't want to put ourselves in the story as the Pharisees, as the religious people who have their own rules and would rather live by legalism than the grace of God. And so when we read a passage like this in the Bible, does it apply to us? We are all sinful we are all outsiders. We, none of us are born into God's family. We all can relate to Ruth in that way that we are all uh, going our own way. We are all outside of the family of God. No one is born into the family of God, and yet God pursues. He wanted to call Ruth to be a daughter of the true king, a daughter of the one true God. And, and the fact that Ruth lived in Moab did not stop God, did it? God pursued. He comes after us. We are all 
outsiders. None of us are born into God's family. The gospel is the spectacular good news that God doesn't leave us stuck in our sin and separated from him, but that he pursues us. And by the grace of God and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God makes a way for you and I, sinful and broken and hurting and separated from God, to be put back in relationship with God and be adopted into his family. That is the spectacular good news of the gospel. That we are all outsiders who have been made insiders because of the cross and because of the empty tomb. Even in our difficult circumstances, we can trust God. Even in our difficult circumstances, he alone is to be worshipped. Because as we've seen in this story, God is faithful. He is kind. He is gracious. And so Hebrews 12.3 tells us to consider him. Consider Jesus. Look to him. Look at what he's endured. Look what he's gone through. His life, death, and resurrection. Look that he's endured the hostility. So that what? So that you and I may not grow weary. So that we can endure. And so that our eyes can be lifted to God. So that we will not be faint-hearted. But that we will find life in him. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. Father God, thank you that you are a God who pursues and comes after us. Father, you gave me you gave me tears earlier this morning thinking of those in my church family who are hurting, struggling. I'm sure there are others like me who struggle or have times of bitterness. So, Father, I pray for my church family this morning. I urge my church family to to now silently pray for those around them, those here, those not here, that they know who are hurting or who might be bitter or who might be angry or who might be facing difficulty. We thank you, Father, for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that gives us hope. We thank you that God can be trusted even when our circumstances are not what we would choose. God, thank you for not leaving us stuck in our sin with no way to save ourselves. Thank you that you pursued us, that you sent your son into our world to, to relate to us, to know us, to empathize, to know exactly what we are going through, to endure the hostility of others so that we will not lose heart and that we will not grow faint. Thank you for sending your son. And as we endure then the difficulties of life, the roller coasters of life, God, I pray that you would, by the grace of God, that you would help us to see you in it, that we would not fall into bitterness, but instead that we would, even in the midst of circumstances we wouldn't choose, that we would look around and that we would see indicators of your grace and kindness. Father God, I pray again for my church family this morning that they would know the amazing grace of God. I pray for my church family that your grace would abound to them. I pray that in the midst of difficult circumstances, you would give comfort and peace as only you can. I pray that by the grace of God, we would all consider Jesus so that we would not grow weary. 
so that we would endure, so that we would lift our eyes to you and find hope and find life. Thank you, Father, for your working in our lives. Thank you for an opportunity to study your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. May we now honor you in all that we do. May we lift our voices and give our offerings and say our prayers and hug our friends and enjoy our church family all out of thankfulness for what you have done. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.